everyone, welcome back to another episode of Stories of Us. I'm your host, Shree Pinretti, and today I'm here with a very, very special guest. He's one of my old friends and a filmmaker, Janice Du. Janice. Thank you for having me. I actually met Shree back in middle school and we had some good years debating together, um, attending extracurricular math classes <laughs> together. Um, but then I left council. for, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, student council, that was the big one, yeah a ton of things <laughs> that we did together so that was pretty amazing few years yeah. and then um i ended up moving high schools to westminster where i am now and i kind of left the things i was doing in middle school and instead turned more towards filmmaking so i guess um right now i would define myself as a filmmaker and a musician um, I started Studio W, a uh, student-run production studio at Westminster, and I've been really focused on building that up and producing original content with them over the past three years. I heard that you were banned at Westminster for filmmaking. Is that still true? <laughs> banned? Well, I think the word they used was an administrative hold. <laughs> but... Um, it's Westminster is really weird in that compared to like Lambert and public schools, it is a small school. So mm -hmm. it's rather hard to find teachers that are willing to spend a lot of time doing something like a club that meets like three times a weekend on weekends or something like that. Something that's really time committed because most people already coaching sports they're already mm -hmm. sponsoring like robotics or debate or something like that so we had a lot of freedom one of our sponsors was like the theater teacher so she was caught up with the musical one of ours was the broadcasting teacher and he was you know they had to cover all the sporting events and stuff so we had really a lot of autonomy mm -hmm. and we had this idea for a film this was like about a year after the parkland shooting um, my mm -hmm. friend had an idea to kind of spark debate about the gun control issue and kind of show the two sides. So the idea was to show the path of like a gun into a person who was going to use it for good and a person who was going to use it for bad, like a school shooting or something. Um, I think the idea is really good. This was when we were still starting out as filmmakers so maybe the production quality wasn't good but i'm really happy with how the story turned out and once the administration kind of heard about this story and how we were going to have a like pseudo school shooting scene they weren't too happy about it they technically put us on administrative hold they still let us film on campus we just had to call security and stuff and they were like really freaked out by it but whatever <laughs> So we ended up finishing the film. It was still on. They, I mean, they haven't they haven't followed up with it because our administration is trash, probably like all schools. But yeah, we ended up um, not posting it on, on our channel, but on one of our personal channels. And it actually ended up getting selected for the All-American High School Film Festival last year. Yeah, that's awesome. Like, tell me a little bit about these like film festivals and like how that experience is. So film festivals, I guess... That one that I said, the All-American High School Film Festival, that's the largest high school film festival in the world. And that's like the premier experience for, you know, filmmakers in high school, much like the Tournament of Champions for debate or, you know, 
uh, first robotics world championships or something like that. So the way that works is you have all year from the end of the last festival to like July 1st to make and submit a film under one of the categories. And then they announce, they announce which films are official selections. Last year, mm-hmm. it was about, it was several hundred films. And then an official selection basically means that your film will be screened at the festival in New York City. And I think the festival is a really cool experience because they rent out like an entire movie theater, like an entire AMC in the middle of Times Square, just to like show different high school films from around the world. And I think that's just such a cool experience to get to go there and interact with other people who are doing the same thing as you. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I will say is that there is a screening the Saturday night of the festival. It's called the Best of Fest screening. We, um, We didn't have a film play in there, which was expected since we were starting out. But we watched that festival and I think it really opened our eyes into like what high schoolers are really capable of, the kind of stories they have to tell, and just the quality, the sheer quality of the pictures were mind blowing. So that was a really motivational and like transformative experience for us. And then after that, we really became motivated to improve really quickly, um, try to get up to that level and like build our club up even further. So after the award ceremony on Sunday night, this was like at midnight. And then it was just three of us. It was just three of us. And we sat down and we started like having a meeting because we knew we had to have that conversation that night. And then we talked about like how we could recruit more people, how we could Mm -hmm. teach them basic skills most effectively, how we could increase our production quality and write better stories. So that the festival is like, I would say it's the best way for people to take initiative. So I think we have this issue, which is really common in that we have people that have joined, but a lot of them aren't like very proactive about it. Like they're interested, but they're not. Yeah. If we want to get them involved, we have to like ask them to do things like constantly be on their tail sometimes. But Mm -hmm. I think going to something like this festival completely changes that. It's like you're doing nothing but film for an entire weekend. Um, you're getting super inspired by the films you see. So there's no way you can just not be inspired to be proactive and do this on your own once you get back. So as a filmmaker, are you also kind of like a film geek? Like, do you like, are you one of those like watching the movies and just like criticizing it or anything like that? Well, I think being a filmmaker is really interesting because yeah, everybody watches movies. Yeah, It's not like you know, being a, being someone who does like the robotics team, it's not, yeah. it's like not something you get to like talk about with your friends every day. You know, they don't understand what you're talking about. But yeah. with film, I think that's really cool because you can point, if you're not annoying, you can point out things that you know, are really interesting. So yeah, I guess to an extent, I, I really like seeing movies with my film friends because we have really deep discussions about the story, about certain shots that they did were really cool. Mm-hmm. So and you know sometimes my friends will like meme about it and like every anytime there's like a cool shot they'll like elbow me or something we have a um we have a joke where it's like anything remotely deep that happens in a film will like turn to each other and be like that's symbolism <laughs> yeah but like i feel like for me i don't really know any other people who are filmmakers or like i know people who just do like videography for fun on the side 
And so it's like really interesting to see like how you've created your own club because I don't know a lot of high schools that have film clubs around here. Would that be right. true? Mm-hmm. Most high schools have like AV, like audio visual mm-hmm. broadcasting stuff, like they do news and stuff. We have that too, but what we wanted to do is we wanted to be like the original component of filmmaking. We wanted to produce original content like Mm -hmm. their um like their hype videos that they do for like football and other sports actually they only do them for football it's like they just edit together clips that they got from broadcasting and it's like not very exciting and what we're doing this summer actually is we're making a hype video but it's for the cross-country team Mm -hmm. because a lot of us are cross-country runners and it's going to be really different because we're planning on interviewing the coach, which is like this old man who is like <laughs> Trump supporter, probably. Um, but he's like one of the best coaches in the state, in the country, maybe, because of his record with the team. And he says a lot of like cool things and his way of coaching is really unique. So I think through like interviews, original footage and stuff, that's what's make that's what's gonna make the difference. Yeah. And for like people who are like thinking about starting a film club at their school or just starting out, do you have any advice? Um, I would say for me, starting a film club, starting Studio W and like growing it has been uh, as much of an experience of Studio W growing as it has been of me growing myself as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. My first videos, when I look back on them, like they weren't that good. So like... <laughs> I would say the key is to like always be learning, always be improving, always be pushing yourself to be more creative. Like take editing for an an example. I would say the only way to get better at editing is to just edit more. And when you run into something that's like, that's really annoying or there should be a better way to do that, there definitely is a better way to do that. And once you push yourself to go look for that solution to find that better way, then, um, you'll become a better editor and a better filmmaker. And I think that applies to cinematography, that applies to storyboarding and everything. So pushing yourself for improvement, I think is important to make yourself a better filmmaker, which will help you start a film club. In terms of actually starting the club, I will say that we've had a really hard time getting established and becoming something sustainable. But I think over the last few months, we've definitely made a ton of progress. The The challenge is, I guess, might be to find a teacher or something that's that can be really dedicated to what you're doing, that can mm-hmm. give you advice on leadership, on keeping people engaged and stuff, because that's really helpful. And that's something that we don't have as much as we would like. Um, And then the other part is to just apply the same thinking as to like how you would improve as a filmmaker to how you want your club to be. So um, I would say there last summer, me and my friend who co-lead the club, we spent hours and hours meeting and like outlining our vision and like just talking about what our ideal club would look like. And then we're like, okay, so we have this great vision. What are the steps we can take to get there? Mm -hmm. So I think running, starting a club in an environment where people aren't so open to new things, to joining student-led things, that's, that's a real experiment in leadership and like inspiring other people.
That's a really good point. And I can like kind of relate to the part about like starting up the film club in a way that you have to constantly improve yourself as a filmmaker, because I feel like even for this podcast, I am still struggling to make it like as natural as possible. And that's something like editing the audio quality and figuring out how to do that. It's very new, but it's also like you need to put in perspective that you are improving. It's just, it will take time to become to the level of excellence that you like perceive yourself to be at. Right. Like in no time, you'll be really good at audio editing. Um, your quality will certainly be much better over time. And I think sometimes you have to apply that to times when maybe your organization, the thing you're trying to start, isn't growing as fast as you want, isn't retaining people as much as you would like. And sometimes you have to tell yourself, okay, this is a marathon. We have to keep pushing. We have to keep innovating and um, improving our skills as leaders. How can we solve these problems? But also sometimes I think you have to be like, no, this is our fault. We did make a mistake. Um, We need to address this and be proactive about it. Yeah. I guess going more on like setbacks, what were some setbacks that you initially faced when you were starting as a filmmaker? And I guess, how did you overcome them? Setbacks as a filmmaker? Um, I can talk about some of the projects we've had and like particular challenges. So Form 4473, that was like the gun movie I was talking about. That movie had a pretty good story. It even had an original score, but I would say the production quality we kind of took for granted. We were mm-hmm. like, oh, this will work. This will be fine. This, this actor will be fine. Um, we didn't really light any of our scenes. A lot of our scenes were like shaky and stuff. So it was a really like bare bones film in terms of production quality. And I think that really lessened the overall narrative of the film because mm-hmm. people start to notice those things especially people you know who know the people that are in the film and like why did you get this person to act yeah so um so that film had good story not so great production quality and then that summer we produced a film called the red dye and that film i would say had amazing production quality mm-hmm. Because my friend who wrote it, he also shot the movie. He's an amazing cinematographer. He knows how to light scenes. And we had actors who could act. But the story was really lacking. It wasn't a really, it wasn't a really good story. Like, once you watch the film, you're like... I'm confused. I'm sorry. I was, I watched it, but I thought it was really good shot. But I was kind of confused about, like, wasn't it the part where... He, he has like a red dye and then um, his friend goes away and then he dies. Right. So, so the, the whole, the whole, like when we, there wasn't even a, like a, there wasn't really like a real screenplay to this. It was like <laughs> my friend, he needed to record something for his um, college because he was applying to film school. So mm-hmm. he, he said he wanted to do a film where two people are driving and they have to suddenly pull over and then one of them leaves. And then that's where it kind of stopped. Like, we never really took the time to figure out what exactly happens. And then at the last minute, he was kind of like, okay, so here's what happens. And that's what happens in the film. He, like, trips and falls and dies. And then I was like, well, at least add some symbolism or add something deep to it. So, I don't know. He got his friend actor to bring this red dye as something, like, he would be twirling before he 
um, left. I mean, obviously, we didn't mean for it to be like deep, but by coincidence, it happened to be a die, which represents like randomness and chance, I guess, which is just a bit of like narrative yeah. significance there. But that was just completely by chance, and that was completely at the last minute. So that story had really good production quality, but the story was quite lacking. And um, yeah, let's jump to this summer because this year has really been weird. We did yeah, produce right. the film in New York in October, but that was like on a time crunch. We did do some non-narrative stuff and then we had January semester and then a month of school and then Zoom. <laughs> so now we're up to this summer. We have two screenplays that we're, we have to produce before the July 1st deadline. We have to shoot and edit them. And they're complete screenplays this time. They're not just Google Docs with like random things and bullet points on them. So they're actual screenplays. And I've read through them so many times. We've made so many edits. And I think they're truly amazing stories that we have. And I think what's really great is that one of them was written by two people who joined just this year. So it wasn't by one of the people who was originally with us when we started. So that's really amazing. And these stories are really good. And we already have the skills required to make this film professional quality. We've been through enough experiences to know like, okay, here's how we should light the scene. Here's how we should position cameras and do camera movements and make it not shaky and stuff like that. And we have four or five amazing actors. We actually shot one scene with them back in March before everything closed down. And that shoot was actually, that shoot was actually really fun because the scene is at a diner. They're all there discussing like some crazy event that just happened that they witnessed. And this is supposed to be late at night. And so how do we get a diner to let us shoot there? So there's this really iconic diner in like Buckhead. It's called the Landmark Diner. Mm -hmm. You know, iconic diner, neon signs. The interior is like a really classic look. So um, we just emailed them and we we're like, can we shoot at your diner? And then they're like, what is your budget? And we're like, we, we're like, oh shoot, we don't really want to pay for this. So we're like, yeah, we don't really have that money. <laughs> we don't really have money. This is like a high school production. So he was like, Okay, so here are the hours you can come in on. And it was like morning hours. Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, 7.30 or something on a weekday or something. But that wouldn't work because we had school. And then he was like, 4 a.m. <laughs> so we were like, what do we do? And then we, we, we discussed and we we're like, all right, I guess we, I guess we have to shoot at 4 a.m. Yeah. So we ended up doing our shoot. Our, we ended up shooting our scene at the Landmark Diner on a weekday. 4 a.m. to 7.30 a.m. on a Monday before, right after our spring break. So Fine. that Fine. was a really cool experience. The fact that it was after spring break was a huge saver. Um, I was like the only one in town for spring break. Um, I literally spent so long calling and texting different actors, trying to like scramble to make sure we had everyone available. Because mm -hmm. finding four actors is a lot harder than it sounds that are all available at 4 a.m. in the morning, yes. Morning. Exactly. <laughs> so we were scrambling to do that. We were scrambling to get our shot list together, to get our rentals together for camera equipment. Um, so that was super last minute, but it ended up all working out. We all went to sleep really early that Sunday, um, mm -hmm. woke up at like three, got to the Landmark Diner, 
And we were actually able to get a decent crew with us, about like 10, maybe almost 10 crew members. And then we had the four actors. Mm-hmm. And we shot the scene and it looked really amazing because we were at the location and it was probably one of our best shoots ever because everyone was as skilled as they ever been at their role. Um, we had the best actors we had, the best writing we've had. So yeah, that was, that's just, that's one of the films that we're shoot that we're finishing up this summer. Mm-hmm. And I think based on that scene, the production quality is there. And I think based on the screenplay, the story is definitely there. Well, good luck on that. I'm sure it's amazing. Thank you. And are you planning on pursuing film as like a long-term career or for now, is it just, I'm experimenting with it and seeing if it can be like a hobby? Um, I've done some thinking. I probably won't pursue it in college as a long-term career. Not because like I subscribe to the belief that like filmmakers get paid nothing and stuff like that. I, I don't think that's true because video is such a huge force in advertising and media today. Yeah. Um, it's not because of that, but um, I've been really drawn to politics recently. And yeah, yeah. one thing I will say from the perspective of a filmmaker is that um, politics and filmmaking all boil down to the same thing, which is storytelling. That's right. And storytelling, once you break that down, is all about emotion people respond to emotions more than facts and figures. So politicians who can tell a story, who can convey an emotion, you look at famous speeches during the course of the last 50 years, none of them start by presenting people with numbers and stuff. That's not what, that's not what makes people you know, follow them and want to vote for them. It's all about the story and like the emotions they are able to convey. And that's especially true for filmmaking. Filmmakers and politicians all have that in common, good ones at least. They're mm-hmm. great storytellers. And I think that's something I definitely come to realize what, reading the news, watching speeches. And as a filmmaker who has tried to simplify things as much as possible in terms of what makes a story successful, what makes an organization, what makes Studio W successful. Yeah, that's just been something I've always been interested in. And you can probably attest to this even since middle school. Yeah. And I've always, I've always wanted to do more politically. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, maybe not in terms of like the activism route that like so many people do. I think that's sort of, I think some of the things they do are sort of questionable and I would not agree with but that's a different topic (laughs) yeah Uh, but you know I've always had ideas for uh do work with like the Asian American engagement in voting because that's been historically low maybe do more political writing and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and obviously always do more research on the issues and candidates and stuff like that but you know with film and music as like my predominant things that I'm doing in high school that kind of those kind of opportunities are hard for me to time for yeah but I think studying that studying those things in college um I would say is what I think I can make the biggest impact I can really attest to the storytelling part because even as coming from a person from a science background um one thing that I get really frustrated is is how science is not necessarily integrated into our society because due to a lack of political interest in that sphere, 
I guess, very complicated, but I feel like in order for, I think a common thing with all of these different passions I've seen is that in order to actually like implement an idea or cause any type of change, there's a level of politics involved. And I think that's like really interesting. And hopefully you don't repeat middle school politics and not get a slushy machines in your future <laughs> political career. <laughs> Dude, people yeah. are still harassing me about that. They're actually, like, that's yeah, crazy. Like, it's been so Jonathan many years. Street or did not get a slushy machines and it like started off, but it's not as so much now, but like definitely freshman year. What did people, what did people do after us? I mean, probably not much. Not much either. The administration. Yeah. And which I'm is like, always trash, no matter where I go. <laughs> We've really tried. I'm like, we actually put the effort in, but it, I guess things didn't work out. But yeah. We um, were so close. We were literally so close. And then they threw that like stupid nutrition board thing on us. Yeah, yeah. And I'm which, like. Which is literally think- an excuse for them not to let us do it. Yeah, that's true. But well, I think that's, you know, I think we share that in common. We, we both have big dreams. We have big ambitions, even for something like our student government plans. We had things other candidates weren't able to get approved. And yeah. we did everything we could to try to get them, even though people told us no all the time. I remember that comprehensive student council plan that yeah. you wrote up. And I'm like, I've been using comprehensive plans ever since. So. Me too. Yeah, we, had, um, we wrote a budget proposal to the administration for Studio W last year or at the beginning of this school year. And it was many pages long. It had our history, our background, our goals, why we needed the money. Yeah, I'll start it from that comprehensive plan back in eighth grade. Yep, yep. Um, has quarantine given you like more time to work on these films and like process through them or has it like made filming difficult? In terms of quarantine, I would say we definitely have been doing less work for film. Um, probably because we had, I don't know how it was for you guys, but we still had classes every day. Mm-hmm. We had like Zoom calls. Um, we had four Zoom calls a day, four classes a day, one hour each. And we still had work. We still had to prepare for our APs. We still had most of the big projects that we had, but workload was limited. Screen time, they did try to limit. So we still had school, but with the lessened workload, I would say, I at least spent the time like sleeping more and, you know, exercising more and like taking care of myself more than I would normally in a school year. So that Mm -hmm. was definitely a big plus and I needed that. But now that school is over, we are, you know, starting to feel the pressure and we really want to get those films filmed. Mm -hmm. So um, we're kind of planning our shoots right now, um, trying to take safety precautions yeah, right now we're trying to figure out an issue where one of the actors um, isn't able to come film because her parents are a little bit paranoid. Yeah. So that's something we have to convince. And it's a big problem since it's an actor because we can't replace them. So That's right. That's right. There's a ton of um, filmmaking is a lot of logistics, a lot of, you know, organizational skills like that more than people realize. And as a producer on most films, that's something I've definitely come to understand. That's really good. Okay, top five movies. <laughs> top five movies? <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't know that I'll be able to. 
I can talk about some movies and TV shows recently that I've watched that I think are really good. Go for it. Okay, so number one, definitely Parasite. Have you seen it? I've seen it. I've seen it. I, like, bought... We, I was like, we don't usually buy films. And but I'm like, we got to watch this. And I was telling my mom, it's like, has three Oscars and everything. So I watched it with her. And then she's like, I don't, she's like, it's very good. And like, she kind of like predicted everything that would happen. And I thought that was insane. But yeah, it was fun. I really How did she predict it? Because it's like two separate movies. They take over the house and then the doorbell rings. So it's like, that's, I think Parasite pulls off one of the best twists in cinema history because <laughs> that was originally the movie, um, according to Bong Joon-ho, the director. It was just that first half. And then, you know, the other half came in and that I think makes the movie so compelling, that twist in the middle. And mm-hmm. it's almost exactly halfway in between, I think. But yeah, I thought it was a really compelling movie too because it was like, in a way, it's unpredictable. And even if you go in it cold, there's so much symbolism involved that it's very interesting to analyze and think about. Right, yeah. I think I think this film really illustrates the similarities between literature and film because mm-hmm. in literature, you have the author's word choice. You have specific symbolism they use. You have metaphors and stuff. And that's all part of this like literary craft that the author is crafting. And with film, a lot of people don't realize that it is the same thing. In Parasite, Parasite is a staircase movie. You have <laughs> elevation differences that represent differences in class. And when people go up and down, that's representing their movement up and down the class structure. Yeah. Um, there is, yeah, there's a ton of symbols and like camera movements that use very, very consistently. Like looking up at something represents their, you know, in a higher position than you looking down they're in the lower position and that's a really effective cinematography technique. And they use that really, really consistently, which is what makes mm-hmm. it so amazing. We, we could talk for hours about the different like details, the different like literary and like cinematography techniques that they use in the film. But mm-hmm. I think once you come to realize all of that coming together in the film, that's what makes you realize that it is the best film that this audience has seen in a very long time in cinema history. Yeah. I guess based off of that, what do you think are the most important qualities of a film? Um, I would say, I would say story, but that's really vague. Mm-hmm. But you know, a good story can mean a lot of different things. I think one, one way to do that is with suspense and surprising and surprise. Um, that's really effective in getting the audience to be like, wow, I did not expect that. That was a good movie. Another element is emotion Mm -hmm. in how a character changes. Um, You know, stories are all about change. One formula that people like to use for a story is like a character wants something. Um, They have to, but um, in order to get it, there is a cost. So they get what they want, but then there's a cost. And then they have to bear the consequences of that cost. And then at the end of the movie, they're a changed character. So that's just one formula out of many that people use for short films, for feature films, things like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that was most of the questions I wanted to ask you. Thank you so much for your time and doing this podcast with me. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. 
Hi everyone, thank you so much for listening into this episode. This honestly was one of the most fun recordings I have done so far because Jonas is a good friend and he has such good insight. From this episode onwards, I am experimenting with a debriefing session known as the Big Three. This is where I basically go over the big three insights I had with my conversation from the previous interview. And basically, this is to show that we can learn a lot from people's stories and see how we can apply the lessons that they've learned and the skills that they've gained into our life as well. So starting off with this podcast with Jonas. The first thing that I learned is that a lot of things that we do when we're younger can still apply and help us achieve when we're older. For example, Jonas talked a lot about the comprehensive plan. So when we were in middle school, in order to get elected and after we got elected, we basically developed a comprehensive plan of exactly how we're going to implement every little idea and proposition that we had. And now this was not only helpful to get organized, but also even though we weren't necessarily successful at getting our school slushing machines or donuts some days, we learned the lesson of how to make good comprehensive plans and were able to apply it to later days. For example, Jonas talked about how he was able to propose his financial budget from having the experience practice of making comprehensive plans in middle school. The second lesson I've learned is that when you're just getting started, it's important to keep in perspective of progress. Something that's really important for artistic skills such as filmmaking, podcasting, or even recording is that you're always going to improve from the episode before in incremental values. And it's really important to keep in perspective that it's important to push yourself, but also maintain a level of balance and understanding that you are just getting started and it's going to improve over time. Like Jonas said about the editing process, it takes a lot of time and if you're not satisfied, you should definitely fix it. Fix it. And after a conversation, he also suggested that it's super easy to get resources from the internet, so there really isn't no excuse for pushing ourselves in order to become a better editor or even just something that we're more passionate about. But at the same time, make sure that you're making, uh, that you're balanced and understand that you will improve. The third thing that I basically learned was that storytelling relies on emotion. And I think this goes with a lot of art. For example, public speaking, filmmaking, or even just producing music. It relies on emotion more than basing things off of facts. Now, this is really important because especially in an efficiency-based society that we live in where everything we want to determine quantitatively, it's important to find value in emotion and trying to influence others positively with emotion. And so those were my big three that I learned from this podcast. I'm so excited that you guys are listening and I'll see you in the next one. As always, thank you for your stories.